Hi, I am Ulysses, and this is Music, Meaning, and Mystery Podcast. The aim of this podcast is to explore the mystery of music and valorize it. In this episode, I have a conversation with Vianne Dieppe. She is an independent solo artist and improviser specializing in the Asian long zither class of musical instruments. You can listen to Vianne's music at viannedieppe.weebly.com. You are in a committed long-term relationship with the class of instruments known as the Asian long zither. Tell me how you met and how you fell in love. We, we first met through a cassette tape. My mother in Vietnam would often have music in the background while she was cooking or while she was chillaxing. And through these pieces of music, this sort of Vietnamese pop music of the 70s and 80s, I would hear this twinkling and tingy melodic harmonious sound coming through the stereo system. And I would ask her, you know, Mama, what, what is that sound? What instrument is that? And she said, oh, it's no concern. You know, you should concern yourself with school and study. And, and so eventually I discovered that it was the Vietnamese dan jang. And dan jang means a plucked string zither instrument in Vietnamese. But it originates from the Chinese word Jung of the same class of instruments there in China. So upon listening to this instrument, it, it just automatically, my ears focused on it. Every time I would hear this music, I would be so excited to hear it as it, it, it gave me such a sensation of, as you put it best, that's when I fell in love. I think I was around the age of three when I first heard it or remembered hearing it for the first time in Vietnam. There, there's something of like dignifying that uh, childlike intuition of being drawn to this. Um, and um, I, 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 I admire that and I appreciate that. So I'd like to know um, what it's like for you to have had that continuity. For me, it's a form of veneration, not only of the beauty of the instrument itself, as it is very handcrafted and constructed beautifully. It's also the honoring of the lineage in which it came from. I imagine the first people who played it and the first person who may have come up with compositions for this rather ancient lineaged instrument. And so it's a veneration. It's a sort of feeling the being humbled for the fact that I encountered such a beautiful form um, to be able to express all that it is that I feel. And immediately the feeling is of just gratitude to, to be able to ha have that opportunity to, as you said, to commit to it because it is an incredible commitment. It, it's almost a commitment to yourself. These instruments have a history and a philosophy that encompasses that philosophy of, of, of devotion to oneself and the, the self-practice of uh, maturing and, and grounding. It is a, a very watery sensation 
when you play the instrument and when you hear the instrument, it almost submerges you into the water, into the core and the depth of the earth. And then it shoots you out of that water into the air, into the stratosphere and then out into the beyond. And that is the commitment. So it's not so much of, of the commitment of practicing the instrument, but the instrument and its legacy, its history, the, the philosophy surrounding it, the art surrounding it, helps you to understand how to go within yourself. And then from there, to bring that out through the practice of the instrument daily, hourly, and committing to ultimately your self-expression because it's an instrument that you cannot lie and fabricate about yourself. It, it's so, it, it reveals so much about the player or the artist. Let me just think about that a little bit. So you're communicating to me a commitment, not just to a technique of playing, but to a, to a legacy of that instrument. And you're describing that as a spiritual practice uh, to me that it sounds like. I know that on your website, um, you talk about being in the moment is something that's very important to you. And you talk about when you're in the moment, you're channeling the ancestors. Are they the ancestors specifically who are in that lineage of that instrument? Can you elaborate on that? I am approaching the instrument out of pure love and out of a great curiosity that endured since I was very small. So when I'm in the moment, intuitively, spontaneously creating and learning, I realized that the ancestors in which I attempt to honor or conjure, I don't know them. And it's only what I know very little of the origin of the instrument. So the, the origin of the first Zheng instrument may have been said to be 3,000 to 3,500 years ago. So that alone encapsulates so much history and so many possibilities that have been able to be birthed and developed, evolved. So now it's reached me in this modern time or this present moment. So it, it, it feels to me like time travel and I don't know anyone or anything, but I do know the sensations and the elation, especially the, the, the sense of union with all that I don't know. And I've come to terms with that. And it's possible that you could dig and talk to ethnomusicologists, historians, anthropologists, and get down to the nitty gritty. But for me, as elaborated on the website that you've mentioned, it's really about the, in, the intuition being played out within that spontaneous moment. And just the acceptance of the not knowing allows for you to make great discoveries within that moment, ultimately with yourself. It's, it's a very introspective and solitary practice. Because you're making a connection 
to all of the moments that your ancestors played this instrument. So you could kind of call it like your musical ancestors. The moment becomes larger and it starts to encompass all of the past as well. Um, you talk about the elation of playing the instrument. Um, would you would you say that it's fair to describe that as an ecstatic state? Yes, it's. I think of it as an ascetic who is in the middle of the forest or the desert or a cave, and it's ecstatic. It it it's all encompassing. It it it's it's visceral, but ultimately, right? It there's a a stream of consciousness. I use the word consciousness loosely, but you're conscious. You're for me, at least, I'm very aware that I'm in the zone, which is a bit of a, maybe a dichotomy. It, it's sort of a, a tension between how much you let go and feel this. Is, the ecstatic is the excitement, the initial excitement to uh, approach the instrument, to, to, to be enthralled, to be in that moment of, of, you know, like a child wanting to play their toy or go out and play with friends, that excitement. And then suddenly you're conflicted. Well, if I'm going to be in the moment, why am I so aware that I'm in the moment and, and so conscious of the zone? Mm -hmm. Because am I not supposed to lose myself? And so that's something that I am always curious about myself too. So ecstatic is definitely the rousing of the, the mystery, the history, the present, all of your senses, and then ultimately the connection to, right, as you said earlier, spirit, whatever that means to anybody. But, but musically, spirit is very much present and very much something that artists, especially musical artists, explore that viscerally. Now, I've seen some footage of you playing uh, sometimes, and I've also seen you play live. Uh, sometimes you play in some pretty stunning and elaborate costumes. Can you tell me about how that factors in into your whole uh, work of art? Possibly from my connection very early on in life, where my mama raised us all, all my other uh, older siblings, uh, in the tradition of the Taoist and the Mahayana Buddhism belief system or, or the way of life. We call it the way of life because my mother was also a very self-educated and street intellectual. She She's very much somebody who, in her history, her family denied her of formal education and married her off to become essentially a housemaid. So that was unfortunate, but she exhibited through her lifetime a sense of connection to rituals and ceremonies that, and through the imagery of these practices. So when we enter a Taoist temple or a Buddhist temple, or we enter ancestral shrine areas, gardens, parks in Vietnam, and even in Calgary, Alberta, where we immigrated to eventually when I was uh, five, seeing images of 
bodhisattvas, seeing images of Taoist sages. They're in these beautiful dresses and it's so ethereal, it's so mystical. Eventually in my early childhood, I, I guess very early on in elementary, I started to draw the images that I saw and then also images that I would imagine. And these beings, these beings had flowing gowns, ribbons, headdresses, jewelry of all sorts for the neck, the chest, the torso, the ankles, the wrists, the arms, the fingers, the forehead. So I guess it was my adaptation in just just after high school, I realized that, hey, the visual is just as potent as the expression of the music that I am able to create, to share with the world. And I, I, I have this sense of responsibility to uphold art, just art. And because in those imageries, I, I distinguished it between the art and the mysticism. And because I'm not a champion of mysticism, perhaps I should be the proponent of art as a whole. So it's it's a holistic approach to my my art, which is to say that it's it's a complete package. So a lot of the outfits that I wear have either been gifted to me, designed for me, constructed in the way that I had initially in, illustrated. So because I have the ability to illustrate and I have a history of fashion design in my background as well for a brief time, I would illustrate and collect, I would collect fabrics and found pieces and I would reinvent these pieces and put things together and then I would wear it as a way of completing that circle of art. So from the initial inspiration into the moment, playing the music, ex expressing the art through speech and dance and movement. And then the dress, it, the dress is the final, it's, it's like the icing on the cake, you know, and I could easily just walk out in a black dress and that would be it. Because I do believe that the music takes precedence the image is a way for people who have functioning vision, allowing them to immerse into the very world that I come from or that I yearn to be in because the possibilities of, of art are endless. So I'm, I'm really just playing around with the idea of art and, and how to be as holistic with it as possible. And why not use myself as that canvas, as that base, but then to be authentic to, to be as authentic to my inner expression as possible. It's the garments and the fabrics and the textures and the patterns and the shapes and the flow that I have to orchestrate into the entire presentation. I would say as someone who has seen you play live, the, the, the you coming out in that sort of costume does cue me to understand that there's not just a song happening. There's an element of traveling. Now, as an artist making a contribution to the community, 
what do you think that contribution is? How is it benefiting your com- your community? The community ultimately benefits through each individual within that community. So we put a lot of attention on what the artists can bring the community. There is also a fundamental factor in which the community has to be prepared for the arrival of an artist hmm. or someone else. They they have to have had the experiences and the inner work that is necessary to include someone into their community. They have to have a great knowledge of what their community is about and what they hope to gain or what their what they envision the community is and will become because as soon as an, an artist is introduced to the community that artist comes into the picture with a great slew of history practice experiences and sometimes it may be too much for a certain community sometimes it may not be enough so the artist because she has invested her entire life to cultivating a greater sense of self awareness and a greater understanding of the world around her she naturally brings with her the knowledge the experiences and also the the curiosity so community curates the arrival of an artist the artist becomes a sort of ambassador of an art form so a, as a proponent of the Asian long plucked scissors what i bring to community is a connection each of the threads and strings on my instruments are connected to the body of the instrument and then resounds through the sound box i am a sounding board and the community becomes the players they can pluck at my strings and discover the notes and the sounds and they can in turn provide me opportunities to elaborate just as we're doing here so the artist is a sounding board an ambassador a co-creator a teacher a student so i play all of these roles in a community and it is my responsibility as i said earlier to uphold this holistic form of art this this all encompassing all inclusive ever evolving form of art through me as the vessel so to take on that responsibility and then to enter into a community it is a great pleasure just as playing my instrument a great pleasure to be a part of a group of people a tribe a village if you may where we come to a common ground which is the artistic discoveries that we all can make and what that leads to does it lead to harmony does it lead to dissonance and discourse and through that community has a challenge through that community has a continued opportunity to thrive and and everyone within that community is able to feel safe and to feel acknowledged and to feel the opportunity to express themselves and so when i enter a community people feel empowered people feel inspired and motivated and people feel the 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 joy of involving themselves into a sort of co-creative collaborative experience 
Oh, there's a lot there. <laughs> you're you're almost talking about the responsibility of a community to integrate uh, the the artists that they encounter. I can't help but think of uh, like the Buddha or or Christ who wore boons to their community, but were something so complex that they required they, they posed a challenge to their community and required an up leveling of the community to become integrated and i think that's interesting that there that you seem to propose that there is such a thing as a type of artist that poses that sort of challenge and that is their gift to create that sort of um Friction's the wrong word, but something like that, that causes the community to have to, including the artists, to make this shift uh, in order to, for everyone to benefit from that growth that you mentioned. Is that, am I getting that wrong or is, am I roughly in the same area that you're talking about? You are. And that's the, the great thing about conversation, isn't it? Is that you have the I give you the platform, you give me the platform, and we both sound out what it is that or how we comprehend these very things. And oftentimes, I've also encountered communities where they try and shape the artists or they have expectations of the artist. And therefore, you have to adhere to guidelines. But I've also been a part of communities where it is a platform, literally, where what what is it that Vian music brings to our community. Let's 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 all listen and, and be present in appreciating and acknowledging what this artist or any artist has to offer. And then a good community, a, an awareness of a community is when they can realize and comprehend what it is that the artist is about, that they can in, integrate, right? Because it's all about integration and integration has no expectations. It has perhaps ground rules, right? Everybody needs ground rules and a starting point. But a community has to be very flexible and very accepting and open and willing to communicate, understand and, and work together. It's really about nobody is right and nobody is wrong, but we have to get something moving along because it really is about the locomotion. We can talk all day and philosophize all day or conspire all day and disagree all we want. But at the end of the day, there has to be a movement, just like in my music, where my intuitive improvisations are unique is where I do take you, you, you mentioned this earlier, it's a, it's a journey. I, I am the completeness of what I consider as my art. And then I present myself to the audience. It's an invitation. Everything that you see, and it's, it's an experience. When I walk onto the stage or wherever I'm presented, it's me walking through this doorway, this, this, and, and I'm opening those doors. And there is no, there's no barrier or veil between me and my inspirational world and you, the audience member. I walk out and normally I look at everybody. Usually I look at everybody if I'm in that headspace. I look at everybody, I address everybody in just the mere presence of eye contact. And then 
I would look at my instrument. It's it's an it's an invocation for for me. Everything seems to be a ritual just just because of my upbringing being Taoist and Buddhist. Like I can't help it. Everything is quite sacred and precious in that way for me. And it's it's exciting. I get goosebumps even talking about it. Is to approach the stage. It's a great opportunity to uh, invite, you know, to invite you in, and that you are not static and you are not passive listeners. You are the very pilots of this journey, and I I provide you with the soundtrack of your I see experience. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I see. Yeah, I, I really appreciate your honesty there. It's it's quite it it's very helpful for my project. I usually have a traditional closing question, but before I do that, is there anything that you would have liked to talk about that I didn't think of or? Sure. I, I believe that when you initially reached out and introduced me to your new blog and podcast theme of, of music and being in that trance or zone and the imageries, I I had mentioned in the email about two specific dreams that I had that were very visually stunning and that stayed with me and and that I communicated that I was very aware of the direction of your podcast and I was very excited to to see how the flow of our conversation would go and it's it's been a very exciting journey to finally have an opportunity to share in this way. Do you want to tell me about those dreams you had? Sure, I'll, I'll briefly describe two of them that I have journaled. And during my teens, just before I graduated high school, I had these two very profound dreams where the first one, I've always been afraid of dark, winding, maze-like corridors. It's sort of one of my maybe phobias is realizing that I'm I'm in corridors and, and there are no doors and so though that particular dream was I was running away from a creature with no head and just a black mass of twitching and shaking sort of ink. It looked like ink, but it was solid straight down its form and there was no head to speak of and it was chasing after me with like needles of, of black ink and I would run for my life obviously and all of a sudden I come upon a cliff and I sort of gaze down on the cliff and I turn around and I look at this thing that's approaching quite closely, but just close enough. And so I would peer down and it was smoke as if a, a volcano. And suddenly there was this flame that shot up and I felt this warmth all over my torso and my waist area. And I realized I was being carried. So I was being carried as if I was the damsel in distress. And this flame was a kind of King Kong character. But I could just see a, a flame character with flame for hair and flame as body. But the, the touch was not searing hot, but this warmth. And the creature below was enraged and fell into the core of the earth. And I was lifted and carried up and up and up and up. 
and who knows how far, but I saw the clouds below me. And then suddenly there were all these flickering and glowing lights as if candles were all around me. And I was in the center going upwards and I could see candles all around and it would pyramid. So it would come to a point. And then as I focused on the glimmering light, I realized that each one of those glimmering lights were the form of uh, a bodhisattva in meditation pose. And I could then make out the details of the face and the headdress and the gowns. And then each one had different mudras and hand positions peering into me. And I went to the top and there was just a single Buddha. And I woke up and I woke up. And so... (laughs) That was one of the dreams. And the other dream was just a very cartoony dream where I would be running and I would lift off the ground and I would hover through these valleyways and, and, and channels of water and gorges and everything was neon. So there would be neon green hills and forests and, and bright electric blue water. And then suddenly these bright neon purple and blue and mauve hippos and rhinos, or well, I guess they were just hippos, would come hovering gently down upon these valleys and fill up these valleys as if they connected the hills. And they would just land and go to sleep. And they were gigantic. So those are the two dreams that I've had. And I guess they're in a way a visionary journeys that my my brain goes on and my mind thinks up and and I think they're they're very much all influenced by every visual that I've ever encountered growing up. Yeah, so that first dream, there's many elements to that dream that as a researcher into the topic of myth, shamanism, religion in general that recur in uh, world mythology. It's the very widely disseminated visuals. For instance, um, headlessness is a Mm. very important uh, shamanic theme Mm. or motif. Um, And also the ascent to from the underworld, so the the opened earth uh, to the celestial realm or the upper realm. That's a vertical theme, but also the fact that what brought you up as a creature of flame in shamanism, being able to create heat within the body is a very important skill. And, uh, And of course, the vision of peak personhood Um, is important. If I was to diagnose that from uh, through the lens of my research, I would definitely say that there's something of the shaman's journey there. And I I write about it on my blog. So after, if you want me to share like the specific articles, uh, obviously, you know, uh, your mileage may vary and everybody's journey is going to have like, everybody's going to have their own experience of that. And and describe it differently, but that that might be helpful to you. I'm sure you you you've a lot lots of people have told you all sorts of things like this, but it it might be helpful to you. Hmm. So the traditional uh, closing question: uh, What should people listen to? What should people listen to? Sure, people should listen to music in general, and really. I would say listen to music, listen to all music, but deeply listen to how that music 
affects you and how it impacts your moment because you may surprise yourself if you listen to something that you thought at one point or in that moment that, oh, I'm not into this. But perhaps that very thing is a, an, a doorway to be open-minded to, to say, perhaps later on in my life, mm. I might appreciate that. So that was my experience. I was exposed to all, all sorts of music, whether I liked it or not. And because I journal as much as I do, I, I came to realize that, wow, in 1994, when I first heard Björk uh, through the loudspeakers of my friend's car going home from school, I wasn't really into it, but the textures that she had created through her beats and sounds, I was very, it allured me. It interests me enough that in 1995, I picked up her post album and realized I am so into this. And so it it's the, you know, listen to everything, but then practice deep listening of how you are experiencing that moment because of that music that you're listening to or noise or whatnot. And that perhaps you might not like it at first and give yourself time because we all grow and evolve and our tastes are supposed to constantly change that maybe later on you'll continue listening to that and it will continue to bring you new sounds it starts from one listen and then it becomes so many so uh i'm gonna close this off but uh, stay online because uh we're gonna nerd out about some some other stuff uh, offline sure. here uh, okay. but thank you so much for having this conversation with me it was very edifying i really appreciate it thank you for having me when i asked vn what artists contribute to the community she flipped the script back onto the community, issuing a challenge to it. How did she put it? The community has to be prepared for the arrival of an artist. I can't help but see the dream she had in her teenage years as a match for the pattern of initiation I discuss at my blog. In addition to this, Vianne explains that when she plays her instrument, she is channeling her ancestors to the present moment. All that, plus the costumes she wears while performing, I find it becomes quite difficult to ignore just how much this all resembles some sort of spiritual function. These are the sorts of musicians and artists that are out there holding open a door inviting us to a ceremony. This is the challenge the community faces. Are we prepared for the arrival? <laughs>